Good morning, church family. Uh, Our scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 1, 1 to 11. I've always appreciated Acts because we have four Gospels outlining the life of Christ, and they follow him closely. And after he dies, after he passes on, you ask yourself, how would I be in that situation if I followed somebody for a few years? and suddenly they just passed. You feel a little lost. That's why I've always appreciated Acts because it, it tells what the disciples have done. So Luke says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he has also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but also to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore to the kingdom restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, they watched. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two of the men stood by in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Many of you are guests and haven't been able to track what we've been doing here through the last couple of weeks. I myself was absent last week. But through Easter season, we had a very special blessing here. We uh, had a Maundy Thursday service in our fireside room in which we shared a common table, a Passover meal as it were. And no, it wasn't lamb with bitter herbs, but it was some pretty good soup and uh, lovely breads and so forth. And on the table were present the elements as well the grape juice and the the unleavened breads. And as guests entered, we were able to wash one another's feet and find a place at a table. We were able to confess our sins and we were able to share this meal of Passover, this meal of deliverance, this meal of celebration. And Jesus, of course, celebrated Passover with his disciples the night he was betrayed. We find that in John 13 and and elsewhere. So we move from Maundy Thursday with this wonderful uh, celebration of God's deliverance into the day of deliverance itself. And uh, a a friend of mine, a a pastor in this community, Garrett Craw, brought his congregation in uh, to the fireside room and did a a so-called Good Friday service. And if you've never attended one, What happens in a Good Friday service is that even in churches where they have communion and liturgy, every service, they don't have the communion on Good Friday. 
And what they do is they have a ceremony of extinguishing the light. The, the, the service is held in, in evening, in, in nighttime, and all light in the chapel is extinguished. The candles that would normally burn, we don't have a, a candle-type uh, chancel here, but the candles would not be burning any longer and the lights would be off. And it's symbolic of the Christ who is the light of the world laying down his life and that light being extinguished for the moment. And on Sabbath, uh, whereas we've always uh, wondered what to do with ourselves because Christ is asleep in the tomb and yet we as Seventh-day Adventists are worshiping as we ought on the Sabbath day, we had a service that recognized that indeed he rested. And as he would say to uh, those who mourn for Lazarus, he is not dead, he is sleeping. So he slept. Of course, he was dead, as was Lazarus. But what he meant by that is if you sleep, you shall awake. And resurrection morning comes. And the one who gives life gives it again. And the one who gives life takes it up again. And Christ is risen. Alleluia. And so Sunday morning we gathered here and in verse and in song remembered that our salvation comes not only in sacrifice, but it comes in resurrection. So having been through this very rich time with this, this wonderful season, I wanted to, to pick up on the theme and talk about ascension beyond resurrection just a bit. Now, the challenge there is that if you do keep, if you're familiar with the church calendar, if you come from a Lutheran or an Episcopal or a Catholic or other type of background, you're familiar with church calendar, and it's drawn on what the Bible says about the time frame. So you heard in the reading of Acts this morning the reference to 40 days. Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, seen by many we're told. And on the 40th day ascends. So in the normal church calendar, there would be a 40-day period between Easter Sunday and Resurrection, or Ascension Sunday, as they call it. And I, I, I'm not going to keep to that time frame. Um, I, I'm just going to get to the Ascension sooner than that. But it's worth bearing in mind. So we have the facts of the timeline of Acts, the book of Acts in mind as we look at this. What I want you to do today is turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Now the context is um, two things. One, they're in Caesarea Philippi, which is northern Israel on the coast. Uh, It was a, a magnificent Roman city in the time of Christ. Beautiful location, right on the Mediterranean. I mean, the winds blow in. There is a gorgeous theater there. Um, it's it's just this tremendous Roman city now ruins, of course. And it is here that Jesus asks the question: Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And in response to this is Peter's confession: You are the Christ. And in that context, Jesus talks about his impending sufferings and death. Now, this was very shocking 
Very shocking for the disciples. Very hard teaching for them to hear because their entire conceptualization of the Messiah was very different from this. So this is going on in Matthew 16. And we read in 17, about six days later, Jesus is in a new place and he's something very special is, is going to happen. They go up on a high mountain by themselves. Verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. Now I have to be very frank and tell you, I have no idea what transfigured means. I can tell you, for those of you who are movie fans, that it's not the Transformers. He didn't become Beetle Man or, you know, whatever else. But something striking happened because the scripture says his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. I think we would take a cue from this and say perhaps he went to a pre-fall state or perhaps he went to a shadow of the glory that he had before he was born as a human being, before the condescension. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think, frankly, I would find that terribly bizarre. And how I would know who Moses and Elijah were is another interesting question. But it was clear enough to the disciples. I don't know, I think of Moses with the Ten Commandments raised and the big beard and, you know, Charlton Heston, basically. So if Charlton Heston appeared to me with Christ and, let's see, who would play Elijah? George Clooney? I don't know. Um, if they, they should appear, you, you might have some conceptualization, but these two appear and are talking to Jesus, and Peter, having confessed who Christ is, just doesn't know what to think, and he certainly doesn't know what to do, and he barely knows what to say. So he attempts hospitality. Oh, well, Lord, it's, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> if you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased to listen to him. Now that's a sequel, isn't it? Jesus at his baptism had heard this voice. And now it was to be heard again, and the disciples were to hear it. They fell face down on the ground, terrified. Jesus came and touched them. Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And when they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus said, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer in their hands. When the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now this is... 
an interesting prequel. It's a very rich thing that's happening here. First of all, Jesus' status, if you will, as a prophet and a rabbinic, head of a rabbinic school is again confirmed in two witnesses. At the beginning of his ministry, it's confirmed in the witness of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Father, and it's confirmed by John the Baptist. Now it's being confirmed at the end of his ministry by Moses and Elijah. And frankly, in the Jewish world, there are no greater prophets than these two. These are the greatest of the greats. Moses is legend. And if you think about what he accomplished and the prophetic role that he played and who he was to God's people, it's stunning to think about the work that he did and the work done through him by God. He does not see the promised land and he doesn't see heaven immediately either. He dies on this earth and Jude says is resurrected to heavenly life. We then come to Elijah, who's the one who is translated who never sees death. And has, how many of you have heard of it, the Elijah message, right? Now Moses is symbolic of deliverance from slavery. He is the one who takes them from Egypt to the promised land, to Canaan. Elijah is the one who restores things because in a time of drought... And in a time of idolatry, he speaks back into the life of the people the words of the true and living God and calls them to the worship of the true and living God. And John the Baptist comes as one who carries the what message? The Elijah message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? So the disciples are witnessing this amazing thing, Jesus conversing with one who never saw death, Elijah, and one who had been resurrected, first fruits, all three of them. And it would point forward to something very, very important. Jesus had told them that he was going to suffer. Jesus had told them that he was going to die, but he also told them three days and he would rebuild. And when Resurrection Sunday comes, the fulfillment of what Jesus has spoken of becomes complete. And the transfiguration now makes sense. Jesus is blessed and honored and strengthened for the journey ahead in this moment and the disciples are comforted for the moment given the hard teachings that they've just received in Caesarea Philippi oh it's a beautiful scene well we move forward to the resurrection itself which you're all familiar with Sunday morning the women go to the tomb to anoint his body and there are shining angels there saying he's not here he's risen Jesus appears to Mary and says, don't detain me, I haven't yet been to the Father. And she rushes to tell the disciples and, well, there's the Emmaus Road and the fish on the beach and 
lots of stories and we find that Jesus appears not just to two or three or twelve but to many. Forty days go by from resurrection time onward and it's time now for the next phase of Jesus' life and ministry. Now it's time that he returned to the Father. Now it's going home time. And the ascension is coming. So we turn to Acts, chapter 1, where we read earlier. It's interesting that in verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Still thinking temporally. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus went into glory. The glory that the transfiguration had foreshadowed. The glory that was present with the people of Israel who were to be God's witnesses in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Jesus ascends. Pentecost would come after this when the believers would unite, when they would be ignited by a sense of the Spirit's special presence. When, they're, when they would receive gifts by the Spirit that would enable them to witness in ways that they hadn't witnessed before. And they would go out and they would transform a world. So when we think about the season that we've just been through, I want us to remember that it is complete in its work of sacrifice. It is complete in its work of saving us from sin and because of resurrection, saving us from death. But it isn't the end of the story. The end of that part of the story is the going home. It's the rising up in glory. We have that yet to look forward to. Right now we experience resurrection life in Jesus Christ. But the day is coming when we'll live beyond resurrection. We'll live in ascension glory because we will be with Jesus. O Lord, yours is the glory. Not just in transfiguration. Not just in resurrection but in ascension and as priest and king and Lord of lords. We give you glory this day. Amen.